You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, talking about all things geeky. And with me, as she is pretty much every single week, is the one and only Christy Morris. Christy, does it look any different here now that we've hit episode 301? Well, my dear Watson, I would say it does. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it is It is good to be back. And we are going to have some fun today because we're going to talk about a new movie talking about Enola Holmes uh, and uh, which came out on, on Netflix a few weeks back. And so uh, excited to dive into that with you. But before we do that, of course, you know, everybody can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Want to thank you so much to everybody who's been listening. Honestly, we had the best month we've had in years last month. And this month looks to be on record too. So thank you so much for everybody who's listening and downloading and all those things. Uh, find us wherever you get your podcast. Like I said, we're on uh, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you can find your podcast. If you're on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, give us a star rating review to help people find the show even more. Um, those star rating reviews really help. Of course, uh, you could find us on Twitter at Trek FM or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. We got the listeners only discussion group over there called the Babel Conference. You can find and talk to listeners from all over the world. You get the website Trek.fm. You can go over there, the contact section, send Chrissy and I an email if you want. And want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here. We've been going for three over 300 episodes because we've got more with the supplemental episodes that we've done. And thank you so much to everyone. These associate producers through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah, they make sure that not only does this show keep happening, but so does the entire network. And you can support us just like they have over on Patreon at patreon.com slash We have some great contribution levels you can give at, but honestly every little bit helps. So again, you just want to go over to patreon.com slash trekfm. Also, we do I wanted to add in, uh, don't forget, we have our official show Instagram How and Twitter now as well at the 602 Club. How could I forget? <laughs> That's right. You're absolutely right. On Twitter, you can find us at the 602 Club. And on Instagram, you can follow us over at, at the 602 Club TFM. Both of those places, we've been having tons of fun. Uh, in interacting with people. So we really appreciate everybody following us there. And that's the best place to keep up with the show, as well as, you know, we talk about or and post things about what's going on in, in nerddom and in the movie business and all that kind of stuff to keep us up to date with everything, especially as so much has been changing these days. You know, uh, so many movies are being pushed back and all that stuff. So we're trying to keep you up to date with all that as well. So um, I wanted to ask you, before we even got into this movie, uh, just what your experience has been with Sherlock Holmes as a character, um, you know, before we dive into this, because, mm -hmm. you know, he's such a run, long running character. He's one of the characters who's appeared most uh, on screen. And so just kind of wondering what your experience has been with that character. 
Sure. So I, I will say I've always been familiar with Sherlock Holmes uh, ever since I was a kid, even um, asking my parents about it because of seeing movies like The Great Mouse Detective got curious about detectives and everything. And so um, I actually have never read Sherlock Holmes stories, but am familiar with the character and um, that he is a fictional character, but something that's often referred to or depicted in other places. Um, and like you said, arguably one, the most depicted um, in other places. So um, familiar, but not, uh, you know, super thorough. Yeah, I've only, I haven't read a ton of the Sherlock Holmes stories. I've read a few of them though. Uh, and then, um, you know, I have seen adaptations of him from spoofs, like without a clue with Michael Caine, um, and all the way to, you know, Benedict mm -hmm. Cumberbatch's, Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock, uh, that BBC did, which was so wonderful. Of course, the Robert Downey Jr. movies that they did as well. Some okay, some not okay. Uh, and mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, it's a character that I'm well familiar with, and honestly, he's a character then that has inspired lots of other characters from things I've I've watched. You know, Spock from Star Trek has a ton of kind of the Sherlock Holmesness to him. You know, the non-emotional uh, aspect that you get. Mm -hmm. You know, very logical, all those kind of things. So, uh, you know, this is something that like the impact of Sherlock Holmes is felt in so many different things that we like and, and enjoy. So it's really interesting here because, you know, this, I didn't know Christy um, was doing research for with the movie is, you know, this is, this is a book first. Enola Holmes is a, uh, uh, a book series uh, from writer Nancy Springer. Uh, and it's about Enola Holmes, who's the 14-year-old sister of the already famous Sherlock Holmes, who's and Mycroft, yes, and Mycroft uh, we, Holmes. He's, yeah, it's, yeah, we, he's so forgettable. Uh, but uh, we don't like 20 him. years her senior, <laughs> so there's a lot of time. And there are six books in the series, and and they uh, started in 2006 and have gone all the way to 2010 so far. And so. Um, I was wondering, you know, is this, have you read any of these books at all? No. And actually, I didn't know that there was a book series until I saw the credits for the movie. So I had, I had only seen the um, trailers for Enola Holmes and then seen, you know, in the credits, oh, it was actually a book series before it became a movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I was aware that it was a book series and I'm sure I had to come across it. I, you know, uh, when this series is coming out, I was working at Barnes and Noble uh, at that point. And so and I ran the kids department. So I'm sure that I ran into it. But it's not something that I necessarily remember. And I never read the series. This is a series that's, you know, uh, a middle grade series. Um, so kind of in the in the vein of like a Percy Jackson series or, you know, honestly, even Harry Potter is considered middle grade, you know, not. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's right in line with a lot of things that I've liked before. So this could be a really fun series, um, but I've just never gotten a chance to read it. So I think it's really cool that this comes from, you know, some good source material. And, and honestly, you know, I mean, Percy Jackson movies sucked, but the books were great. Uh, and so I'll be really mm -hmm. interested, honestly, to kind of read the author's original take here and, and just how faithful they, they were, because th this movie is actually based off the very first book 
in the series. And what I found fascinating is that this is really a passion project of Millie Bobby Brown, who really mm-hmm. loved these books and read them with her older sister, Paige, and immediately wanted to play this role. And yet, at that point, she's not old enough to play the character. Uh, and so I thought it was really interesting that this is something that she really wanted to do. And she talks to her dad about it, and they decide to try and partner with uh, Legendary Pictures, who they did uh, Godzilla, King of Monsters, which you know we covered here on the show. Um, and mm-hmm. they decide to make this as a, a feature film. So I just really think it's neat when stars really like something and are really passionate about something and help bring it to the screen. Because I honestly think for the most part, that really helps the film. Regardless of if I love the movie or not, the passion Mm -hmm. of a star loving something really makes a lot of difference. Oh, absolutely. Which is kind of ironic then that Henry Cavill happens to be in this because, you know, that's how he felt about The Witcher book series and then campaigned to be cast as the witcher and then i'm sure he and millie bobby brown discussed this and he probably has a lot of respect for her kind of doing the same thing um so i think that that's definitely something you can see in a movie for sure when someone has a passion for it and they're not just there to do a job yeah and i i think you know it's it's one of the things where the movie is benefited because she's the the main character and she's the one uh, who is really bringing the movie to life um, because it's all through her point of view, um, I, I think it really does show that she cares a lot about this character and this movie and um, and that she wants to be there. Like every ounce of her wants to be on screen at every moment, which I think is really cool. Again, I, I think it's neat to see, um, mm-hmm. you know, cause you know, we all know her from stranger things. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, she gets the opportunity uh, to bring this to life. Um, and part of that has to do with, her popularity in Stranger Things, uh, and 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 I think um, it's neat to see a star use their power to do projects then that they're excited in. Um, and uh, you know, uh, this might sound weird, but you remember when we were talking about Top Gun and how you know mm-hmm. Tom Cruise wanted to learn the behind the scenes work. And understand what it meant to be a producer so that he could do more than just act. I think it's kind of neat to kind of see that Millie Bobby Brown seems to kind of have maybe some of those same aspirations of being somebody who not just stars in things, but actually brings projects to fruition because of the things that she's interested in. Yeah, I I think we've seen through this, but also just in general, when she's um, worked on Stranger Things and been on the red carpet for things that she has that leadership um, quality about her and clearly an interest, at least for something that she's passionate about. So I hope we'll get to see her do more things like that and not just the acting piece. But I I did want to add, too, I think that it's a kind of a natural progression for her to then play this kind of character based on 
playing Eleven so well in Stranger Things because there was a degree of detectiveness mm-hmm. in the kids in that yeah, show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and what I thought was fun about this is that one of the reasons she's so excited about it is she really wants to kind of convey the energy and emotion and electricity uh, of the scenes. And, and she actually even, they even talk with the uh, screenwriter, uh, Jack Thorne, who, uh, if people don't know, he also wrote the screenplay for The Cursed Child based on J.K. Rowling's original story that was turned into the the massive hit stage play. Um, and mm. th- this idea of kind of breaking the fourth wall and what the, that really means is getting that opportunity to be so vibrant on screen and, and really get to improvise something that she does not get to do on Stranger Things. So I think it's really interesting that, you know, for her as an actress, one of the things she's really passionate about is expanding her horizons and her abilities in acting. And I think, you know, really, it really plays out here in the movie. I, I think um, not only this a pa- is a, this a passion project, but this movie is her movie. You know, she has other people in this movie that surround her that are big names. But I think the movie works the best when she's the one on screen. Um, because she mm-hmm. really takes this character and completely makes it her own uh, and vibes it with her own personality and and the personality of the character. And that's kind of what you want. I mean, you know, when you think of uh, characters like, you know, Indiana Jones or, you know, things like that, you think of one person, right? You know, so now I think the, mm-hmm. what she's done with Enola Holmes she is Enola Holmes, right? Like it, it, it's she just really truly brings this movie to life in every way possible, and and she makes it a joy to watch. I will say though, I had a, a problem with them breaking the fourth wall, and I get why she wanted to do it, and I'm glad she got the opportunity to do that kind of thing in a movie she was in. But for me personally, I I would have been more invested in the serious nature of the story itself if that hadn't been so frequent. You know what I mean? Mm, that's really interesting. Um, because I, I I found some of the funniest parts of the movie is when she would turn to the audience and just be like... Which is interesting because, you know, Jack Thorne writing this, you know, it, especially doing The Cursed Child, you know, being in a stage mm-hmm. play, you literally look at the audience, right? And, and so... It, right. So like that mm-hmm. makes a little sense as yeah. to why and he would write would that want to too. do that. So yeah, I mean if it's interesting that, that that part didn't work for you. Um how did I mean how how did you feel about her in the role and and you know what she does otherwise? I, otherwise, I think she's brilliant. I've always been a Millie Bobby Brown fan since Stranger Things started. So uh I was really looking forward to seeing her in something different, but also as the leading character and not just, you know, part of an ensemble cast. Although I wish she had gotten more scenes to work with Henry Cavill as well, because I feel like he's also so well known um, that they, they could have kind of used the two of them working together as brother and sister more, but still kept the focus on it being her story. Um, I, I will say, I think that the best scenes with her are when she is, um, working through the situation of her mother leaving 
I think Millie plays that so well, showing the emotion of how a 14 year old girl would feel to suddenly wake up and her mom, who's been her only caregiver, but also best friend is suddenly gone. So I, her acting chops are absolutely never Isn't in question 16, with me. I, I love thought. her. I thought the character okay. was 14. Okay. I, I feel like she's 16 because they're talking about how she's almost a woman. So, Maybe. And that's one of the reasons why at with the finishing school, she's so late to the game, basically. Like those girls would have already been there for, mm-hmm. you know, a few years. And so, so yeah, I mean, no, but I, I think, I think you're still right. You know, I mean, it's even more apparent, like if she's been living with the same person and just really her mother for 16 years, uh, for the most part, and mm-hmm. that's all that she can really remember. Um, you know, she doesn't remember her brothers really being around. She doesn't remember her father. All that's been there is her mother for what she knows of, of 16 years. That's a, a tense thing. And yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think she does a great job with those scenes and, Honestly, I was just, um, I think that she's really magnetic, you know, obviously she can play 11, but I mm-hmm. think this did a great job to show me that she's not a one note character, a one note actress. She can do anything yeah. she wants to do. And she's actually very funny. So she is somebody I think oh, yeah. that, um, has the ability to, play drama and comedy and i think she works absolutely wonderfully here in the role and you know she had the physicality she needs for all of it and um you know i just i really enjoyed how well she pulled and and this is the other thing look you know sometimes it can get annoying to see teenage kids in movies who are the quote-unquote know-it-alls or just know all these things um, they can kind of be annoying, mm-hmm. but she never plays it in a way that's annoying, which is really hard to do. Right. And yet at the same time seems completely competent in everything that she's doing, even when she's making it up as she mo- goes along. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She never feels that way to me. And I, I think that it's apparent even from the first scene where she says where to begin that she pulls you in with her. Even though I'm not a huge fan of breaking the fourth wall, I love Millie Bobby Brown and I love how she played in a lot. I love when she's like, as you can tell, cycling is not one of my strong suits. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> With mud yes. on her face. Or uh, actually, we, my husband and I both got a kick out of when she says, I'll give you five pounds if you change yeah. clothes with yes. me. Yes, <laughs> yes. That, that, that ended up being what? a very funny running <laughs> gag uh, throughout the whole thing. No, she's great. I mean, she really... and. Again, too, the the whole point of this, and, and, and I think kind of elaborating on her and her, what she brings to the role is the fact that, you know, if she doesn't perform well in this movie, this movie would absolutely suck. I mean, you know, because oh, she yeah. is the movie. Um, regardless of who she's acting mm-hmm. with, she has to be your main focus pretty much the whole time. Yeah. And it's like you said, though, she's so good at showing the not only the emotion of the scene, you know, like the reuniting with her mother, even, but also the humor and when to kind of show the more romantic side of the character, but they still left it tasteful. You know, like the scene where she uh, has to bring the Viscount back to her room. I think it was nice that they kept it like they're still kids, you know, they're not kissing it or anything like that. They're just trying to get to know each other and they're in a really dire situation. Um, 
yeah, I, I thought she was great. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, you know, I we both uh, on the show are unabashed fans of Henry Cavill, um, you know, and we love him yes. and pretty much everything he's he's done. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of him. And I think, you know, what's fascinating is to see him in this movie because, you know, he um, he he's been in many different things where he's had to play either like kind of more stoic, you know, like he does in The Witcher um, or, you know, um, kind of, uh, you know, turmoil emotion when he's playing Superman or the suave character that he plays in uh, Man from Uncle. And so he can play all of those things. And I thought it was interesting because so many of those types of roles kind of come into play as he plays Sherlock Holmes here. And I thought he did such mm-hmm. a great job of bringing just the right amount. And, you know, one of the things that uh, sets his homes apart is that he shows more emotion um, and that, you know, Holmes is famous for being completely detached emotionally and not being able to really be attached. And it's not until hit the later works um, from Holmes that he really starts to show any emotion. But I thought it worked so well um, because, you know, this is a different iteration of the character. You know, it is um, mm-hmm. this this character who's being played in a different story. It's not Sherlock Holmes' story, right? He's just, he's actually a side character. Right. And um, I really thought that he played it perfectly. Um, you know, I, I loved his, the struggle it was for the fact that he's realizing that he basically has these emotions for his sister and coming to terms with that, and that he's also going to help her in any way he can. And again, just to play all of that in the very small amount of screen time that he really does have in this movie, I thought he did really well with. And so, yeah, I mean, I I would, this is one of the things where like you were kind of talking about earlier, I think what they do with the screen time he's given and how much time they have together is perfect. But it absolutely makes me want a sequel where they two work together. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I echo what you said, too. I think he was great with the time that he gets. I really like that they have the moments as well in the screenplay where um, she's making a jab at something his character said earlier in the movie. Uh, you know, when uh, they're talking when she's at the girls school and she says um, emotion uh what was it like unnecessary but still present something like that yeah (laughs) and he's kind of laughing at oh you remember that you know i think that it definitely be really cool to see a sequel where they get to actually partner together on cases because i i like that they didn't completely rewrite sherlock holmes as a character i like that for the most part he's still the same kind of character of being very detached emotionally and that they don't make it where enola is now smarter than him or figuring out everything before him Um, because she actually ends up getting it wrong as to who was trying to kill the viscount she thinks at first that it's the uncle but it's actually the grandmother manipulating everything and sherlock figures it out but she had already been through the fight scene by the time he got there. So I like how they did that. Um, yeah. No, I, I think you actually make a great point in that, in that they do a fantastic job of not 
lessening her as a character, but also not lessening Holmes as a character, Sherlock as as a character either. Because if you do that, you're actually hurting her character, basically. You know, um, if you're wanting to show that she's almost as intelligent and just as as good as a detective as her brother, you need to not make him a bad detective. Otherwise, that hurts her as a character. So absolutely, I think you're... 100% 100% right in that and I really appreciate that they they don't you know do that and and it, it does it makes a big difference and it also helps too that you know Sam Clayton playing Mycroft you know Mycroft is always swarmy uh you know he definitely is not a character you like at all uh, even in the Sherlock series with Benedict Cumberbatch you know he's he's not great but here you know I think um it's really fascinating to see him is that he is this character who's just basically he he's all about himself, you know, and he's all about his own name and he's all about his own place in in the world. And um, it makes sense that that his mother and his, even his brother uh, and his sister are all people who are just getting in the way of him rising the ranks and power. And, you know. At the same time, you know, he's not completely evil or anything. He's just he's just all about himself. And I think they do a great job in this movie. We kind of talk a little bit uh, later uh, about some of the thematic elements, but I think he does a great job of playing into some of those thematic elements of, you know, selfishness and stuff. And so perfect job for for the actor. I, I think he nails it. Oh, yeah. He's so, like you said, not a bad person. You can tell by both the acting and just the writing as well that it's it's more about selfishness and about who he thinks he should be in society um, and just about following the motions of what, you know, history in real life tells us that period of the 1860s, you know, and to the early 1900s was like for men and for women. Um I think that he also is written to show the contrast in his um, rule following nature and Enola's wild nature, because he constantly mentions that she's like a wildling and that she needs to be educated and she needs to be broken and reformed. Um, And they even have the scene where Enola gets an attitude with him. And he really shoots her down when they're riding in the carriage. Um, and it's painful to watch. Um, but you get why they're showing you that scene because they're two just completely different natures of people and they're always going to butt heads. Yeah. I think you bring up a great point, you know, uh, about, uh, and this is what makes him different than his brother and his sister and his mother, which mm-hmm. is that he is somebody who's all about, um, the rules of society. Um, to a fault. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons that uh, it's what makes him um, who he is. And um, I think it's really fascinating to kind of see that, you know, and, and again, we kind of have these different characters uh, throughout the series, throughout this movie. And uh, it, it makes it really interesting to kind of see them play this out. Um, and, and, you know, it, it plays into the themes and, you know, kind of speaking of the exact opposite, you know, you have Helena Bonham Carter playing Eudoria Holmes and, you know, she is kind of uh, the uh, amalgamation of her, her, you know, son Sherlock and her daughter, uh, 
And I think that's uh, it makes for a really interesting uh, character. Although um, I will say she may be the character that I think suffers the most through the, just the story of this um, because mm-hmm. her story uh, doesn't, I mean, it, it plays into the sense that um, it juxtaposes with her daughter. Uh, but what's fascinating is how much she's like her son, Mycroft, more than she would like to admit. And and, and her selfishness and oh, her yeah. desires. It's it, That part's what I, I think it really fascinated me to see um, that play out uh, in, in, you know, what they do with her story. Right, that her character is trying to teach her daughter to be independent and to think for herself and to um, try to cause change in the world in good ways. And then it turns out that she's seeing evidence of her mother being much more radical in the way that she thinks she should change the world um, by possibly, you know, using bombs. Um, They allude to and never actually explain, but that's, you know, what they're trying to tell you. And as well with her um, abandoning her daughter, I think that it's really, I think I I wish they had written that a little differently because the screenwriting is trying to portray it as she left for a greater good. But the way that she was going to accomplish that was clearly a bad idea. And then also couldn't you do greater good by teaching your child and not leaving her on her own at really an age when they need more guidance. I mean, uh, this is, um, I don't know if you ever saw Jojo Rabbit, um, but this is honestly the the biggest problem I have with that movie and Scarlett Johansson's character as the mother because the same kind of thing happens. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I think she is the weakest link of the film. For me, uh, as is her part of the story, um, even even though it will play into the thematic elements, uh, I just it mm-hmm. it just doesn't quite work. I think the way that they want it to, right? And I will add, though, I mean, I I think Helena Bonham Carter is mm-hmm. excellent. Oh, yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with her right. performance. Absolutely. I think it's all writing. Um, I I do think though she is. I don't know whether she chooses similar roles all the time though or if she's just ends up in them but this is similar to things that we've seen her play before many times oh yeah i and i think part of it is just that it's who she is um so she is slightly typecast but i think she enjoys playing (laughs) many similar roles so no i i actually think yeah that's all part of it um you know uh lewis Partridge, who plays the Viscount, um, you know, I thought that he was a very nice uh, collaborator with Millie Bobby Brown, and I thought they had a very good chemistry together. Um, And I also liked that um, they, and this is something that's really important, is like they show him being smart in a different way than Enola. You know, he has different things that Mm -hmm. he's good at that she's not good at and everything. And I liked how they complimented each other. I love how he was able to to think of, you know, putting the armor in his shirt, you know, to to keep himself safe. You know, it was a great moment uh, for character development there of him, again, showing that he's got 
he's got it going on up here as well. You know, it's, it's, he's not just a pretty face. Yeah. And so, you know, that was really nice. Um, but like you said too, it, just the way they play their relationship. Yes, they're younger and, and they have kind of this attraction to each other, but it's not about sex. You know, it's not about that yet. It is about right. more of this like actual drawing together of people who, have similar interests, uh, they have similarities, um, and they have things in their both emotionally runaways. that make them connect more than just like, oh, we're hot, so let's get together. Right, yeah. Like, they're both runaways. She feels a responsibility to help protect him because she knows more about self-defense than he does. Um, you know, she can sense that he's very much lived the silver spoon life and just doesn't know those kind of things. Um, and I, yeah, I like that it's more about a mutual respect and that, it, like you were saying, they have intelligence in different ways where she's been taught more about, um, science and about self-defense and, you know, being independent. He's really learned more about, um, botany and, um, you know, about what it would take to, um, survive in the wild if he needed to forage and things like that i thought that that was a neat way to play it and for him to actually want to go and work in a flower shop yeah no i thought it was nice i i mean i totally agree with you there i think that's something that's just it, it really works um and i yeah I, I mean again they i think what they do with these characters is they set up the ability to kind of want to see them again and um, so I, I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I absolutely would love, you know, to see him again in a film with um, Enola and and Sherlock and, and kind of get into some more mischief together. I think that would be really fun. Um, it's mm-hmm. One of the things I was was really interesting. And you talked about this idea of, you know, uh, it's really um, it's really the grandmother who who kind of uh, seems to be the problem here. And it's interesting to kind of see this time in, in England's history as people want it. Some people, you know, like Mycroft or like the grandmother, they want to keep England the same. They're afraid of change. Um, they're afraid of, of mm-hmm. things going badly because of the change. Um, so it's, it's, and, you know, I mean, uh, we can't just say that it, um, that there's not a reason for them to probably feel like that, you know, change isn't always good. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, whereas, you know, you see Enola's mother, the Viscount, his father who want to see England move forward with the vote for, for women. And so I love this whole idea of like, do we, do we kind of like stagnate? Do we kind of like, or, or do we, do we stay the same or do we move forward um, was really fascinating to me to see them kind of play this out um, on screen, and I thought, you know, it was, it was for the most part, it's it it's an interesting theme for them to be able to play with because this is such an important issue at this time period. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's something that you see that's highlighted here, and I'm I'm glad because honestly, you know, if things hadn't reformed for women during this time period all over the world, you know, I mean, in America, as well as England, then they wouldn't be like they are today with me having the rights that I do. Um, But I think that they um, could have written it a little bit differently with how these women are trying to accomplish it. Um, 
I think that there, it's nice that they show Enola at least is of the viewpoint that there's better ways to do it than violence. And that, you know, bombing things are not going to cause good change in the way that you want. Um, and that she was able to influence change through saving the Viscount rather than doing something like that. Um, you know, obviously she wasn't directly responsible before it because he still was the one that had to go and vote, but she influenced it. Um, and so I thought it was interesting that they yeah, did. I mean, it I think way. that's a really good point you bring up. And it's something that I, this, you know, we were talking about um, her mother. It's, you know, we see um, her mother talk to her earlier in the movie about this idea of, you know, trying to save others at the expense of yourself and how you should never do that. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, what we see in the movie is that. Uh, well, and and it's not just that, but I mean, it's even this whole idea that, that Enola kind of has at the beginning of the movie, which was like, oh, she's going to get rid of the problem boy and you don't know you don't need men in your life. But, you know, all of these type of things. And yet what we see her do is that she Enola acts on her altruism. She acts on her feelings of that. No, it's right for me to care about other people. It's right for me to be worried about other people's safety. And it's right for me to mm-hmm. want to help them. And so, um, and I, I think there was such a beautiful message in that because what it, it shows is that when we stop treating each other like enemies and when we start treating each other like human beings, we have a much better ability to impact the course of the future for good because we're all treating each other like human beings with love and respect. And you see that is that right. as she helps the Viscount, um, they form a relationship, they form a friendship. But at the same time, it's not even just that, but... His father has already raised him in a way to which leads him to want to vote for giving women the vote, right? You know, so it, it's it's yep. not even about um, an us versus them or male versus female or any of these type of things. It's about, um, you know, what we believe and, and what we're willing to stand up for. And I just really right. thought it was fascinating because, you know, in the end, her mother has absolutely nothing to do with making what she wants to come out to fruition because her ideas, her mother's radicalism would have done nothing, but I think push people further in the other direction. Oh, absolutely. I think that it's showing exactly what you're saying as well, that it's not an us versus them or um, men versus women, but rather good people versus people that are resistant to change to a fault. And so it's showing that, you know, um, that resistance to change can lead people to then making terrible decisions like the grandmother killing her son and then killing her grandson or trying to. Um, although I didn't think that that scene was carried out well. Um, I get what they were trying to say. And it's really sad that it leads someone to making decisions like that because I mean, gosh, how horrible I can't imagine. Um, but it's it's a good point to show the turmoil that all of this was causing. And that there are good people out there like 
the kid and his father. And, um, I mean, heck, Sherlock even versus Mycroft that wanted everything to stay the same as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think for me, too, one of the major issues that I end up having with the movie in general is that it's really heavy handed in the way that it handles these themes um, and the nature of the Mm -hmm. themes. And I felt like there were too many times where characters were on screen um, telling you what you should think uh, rather than just allowing Mm -hmm. the story to speak for itself, which this story in and of itself is already about the struggle for women having the right to vote. You know, and so um, mm-hmm. and even um, having characters like Sherlock Holmes come to the understanding of maybe why he should care about certain things. Right. But I don't necessarily think right. that you need somebody literally telling him that because you're actually right. hurting the thematic message of the film by saying, no, this is what you should think. You know, uh, if you're writing mm-hmm. a movie or a screenplay or a uh, TV show, um, you need to allow the story to speak for itself. And I think the story without those things would have spoken for itself perfectly. Um, but by just blatantly being like, no, you should think this, that moves from a movie to propaganda and it, it, hurt, mm-hmm. it actually hurts your message. Absolutely. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's how I felt as well and uh, why, you know, it kind of made me feel conflicted because there's so many things I like about the movie, but that really was frustrating. Um, And I mean, it just in screenwriting in general, you want to, like you and I have said many times before, have nuance and things about the way the story is told or visually things are shown to you. Uh, depict a story instead of just having a character say it in dialogue. I mean, because that's not good storytelling. Yeah, I mean, we've said it so many times, show, don't tell. And, yep. you know, um, they so. were showing us throughout the film and allowing the story to speak for itself. And then there are a few times where they literally just have to tell you. And, you know, it's disappointing. And I think this is where, uh, you know, the juxtaposition between the selfish characters and and the non-selfish characters really plays into uh, so many times where uh, you, you know, again, this is kind of playing out on a smaller scale. The whole idea is like what you see in Star Wars, you know, are you going to live the selfish life? Are you going to live the selfless life? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And what we even see is that two Mm -hmm. sides of this issue, they're there are people that are just willing to be selfish to, to, to try and get their way. And that fact, there are people who are willing to hurt other people just to get their way. And yet what solves it in the end is, is two people unselfishly helping one another um, because they care about each other as human beings. And that's a beautiful message. Mm-hmm. And you kind of hurt that message fully being displayed by preaching it people a few times during the movie yeah we're definitely on the same page with that and i I mean really too if you look at some of the scenes where i feel like they did that i think that a lot of the character for the uh school headmistress was unnecessary would you agree with that you know um you know what i felt 
with her uh, was uh, really interesting. Um, I thought that it was it was interesting to have her in the story because she's another character who is selfishly doing things to try and get things for her own benefit. Obviously, you can tell she's got a thing mm-hmm. for Mycroft, right? Um, and so, right, um, and. And so she's supporting him, him and believing in him and doing whatever he says to try and get his approval. And you kind of see that the, what what she goes to prove is that she's the, the, the wrong type of woman who would just do anything to get a man's attention, right? Um, whereas, again, you, mm-hmm. you juxtapose that with... Nola and her relationship with the Viscount and how it becomes this mutual thing together of them uh, helping one another and growing closer together, not because of a of, of selfish reason, but for um, purely just like we like each other's company. You know, they learn to like each other. Um, and it's it's mm-hmm. not all these games and this politics and everything like that. And so um, I see what you're saying, um, but I felt like that was one of the places where the movie was kind of showing us more than telling us, you know, about what we should probably believe about what makes for healthy womanhood and what makes for unhealthy womanhood. Um, so mm-hmm. that's just where I came at point. it as a dude, you know, um, and I thought, oh, man, that's actually <laughs> kind of a message I would want for my daughters, right? If I had daughters, um, I would kind of want them to see that, you know, trying to earn a, a guy's love and respect or everything by just doing what he wants and like, you know, all those kind of things. That's not what I want, would want my daughter to do. Right. So. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Cause that, that helps me understand a little bit more why she was there and not feel so lost as to what her presence was. Yeah. For. <laughs> well, and I did, I, I did like that they gave her a little bit of nuance, right. That she knew her mother and that they had been kind mm-hmm. of friends once and, and they chose two different paths. And what's interesting is what do we see? They both chose extremes and neither of those is the right choice. Right. So I think maybe that's the other reason she's yeah. in the movie to help kind of show that the two extremes, that's not the way to go. We probably need to find a middle way. Absolutely. I think that's, that's a good way to, to prove it as well as that it's uh, the mother versus mm. the headmistress in the way that they're, characters went and then neither one was right i love i love cool. that well i'm glad it worked so <laughs> that's just that's just how mm-hmm. i ended up seeing yeah. it so um i i wanted to ask you about this um i thought one of the best things about the movie honestly was the score i'm really huge fan of daniel pemberton you know he did the dark crystal age of resistance he did uh spider verse uh, man from uncle he's done many other things and i thought you know, this this movie needed a score that was fun and plucky and lively, and he delivers on every level you want, and I, I've enjoyed listening to it, and it just fit the vibrancy of the character of Enola 
so perfectly. And so I was really glad to see him um, do this score. And he, you know, again, he's done scores that I love. So it, he continually is, I mean, he's honestly becoming somebody that I really look forward to hearing what he's going to do. And none of them sound the same. They all have very different sounds and, um, you know, obviously in very different worlds too. So I thought he did a great job. I'm with you there, too. I think that it definitely, for more than anything else to me, gives you the the uh, old world vibe, like Victorian era kind of feel to it, um, but also has that plucky nature to, you know, accentuate Enola as a character being this girl who's still kind of a kid, but is growing to being a woman and uh, going on adventures, but also having some serious things she's dealing with. So I I absolutely he's becoming someone that I really love too, and I'm glad you mentioned Spider Verse because absolutely a different world, different feel, and every in every way um, to the score for that movie, and I loved that as well. So I think that he he's somebody that we should be following the way people would follow John Williams, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, uh, absolutely. You know, he's just a, he's a composer to which I'm really appreciating the things that he's doing. And, and it's, you know, it's fun to be able to call those type of things out. And so, um, well, it all of that together then, Chrissy, I'm really kind of interested to see then where you land with your ratings for Enola Holmes. So I think that we both had some really good points as to why we enjoyed the movie, but some areas where it could be improved. And it was, it really came down to the screenplay itself, where the critiques were. And so based on that, I give it a two and a half out of five, uh, bicycles. <laughs> Because there's definitely still a lot here to be enjoyed. And I really love Millie Bobby Brown and the fact that she was so passionate about doing this movie and this character. I just think that there's some things with the screenplay that could have been tweaked to make it an even more powerful story and to make it less of that feeling of like you and I were saying that um, propaganda or the, you know, issues with her mother abandoning her and things like that. I think that it could have been even better if it was changed somewhat in those storytelling pieces. Yeah, that's really interesting. Part of me wonders if any of that is ameliorated in the book because you have more time, you know, um, mm -hmm. not just two hours. And, and that's not any excuse. You know, you should be able to find a, a way I think to uh, to do that in a you know you should be able to find a way to do that in any screenplay you know effectively and so and if you can't that's 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 your fault as as the screenwriter um, you know as we talked about the movie um, I, I think um, I'm a little bit more generous than you I think I'm going to give it a, a three out of five um, because. I found the movie exceptionally charming uh, because mm -hmm. I enjoyed Millie Bobby Brown's performance so much. And I enjoyed like you were talking about uh, just and we talked about her uh, interactions with Henry Cavill. And it kind of made me excited about the thought process of them doing another one of these together where uh, she would get more time to spend with him. And, and you know, it, it, it was it was a fun movie and it, you know, 
It's been so frustrating, you know, this year because there's so many movies that we wanted to see and we haven't gotten to see. Uh, and this was a movie that was meant to come out in the theater and, and, you know, because of COVID got picked up by Netflix. And so it was just nice to watch a fun, delightful film for free, you know? I mean, I pay for Netflix, so it's mm-hmm. not really free, but... And it's new, so I, I just... I think yeah. that part helped. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, you know, if you've got family, it's definitely a fun movie to watch with family and to be able to talk about these things together. And and so, um, yeah, it's delightful. And I would say maybe the reason I get three is because it was a good enough setup that I would like to see a second film without mm-hmm. some of these things we talked about. And I think, man, you, you put Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill in a case together, and I think they just knock it out of the park. I think it'd be so much fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that, that that's the biggest thing to its credit is that you and I would like to see a sequel where the two of them get to do a case together because he seems to play a really nice older brother, too. I just, I don't know, it's nice. Yeah. Uh, I just, I think we both just want to hang out with uh, Henry Cavill and have a beer, is what we're saying. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, so, uh, Christy, um, we it, you, now are at the part of the show where we do our recommendations. And so, kind of wondering what you have to recommend this week. So, actually, my recommendation this time is going to be. Um, a motivational speaker that I've been loving more and more of her videos. And I follow her now on Instagram. Her name is Mel Robbins. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but um, it's R-O-B-B-I-N-S. And she um, came up with this way of just thinking about your decisions differently that we don't usually look at. And so it seems like such common sense, but then when it's explained to you in her way, you're going, oh, okay. So for example, she shared something the other day that I wanted to share that's, um, it said, why I'm wearing hot pink leggings and Crocs <laughs> on Instagram. And she said, it's because I knew that the act of putting on my leggings, which would influence me to possibly do my exercise that's good for me and I need to do would motivate me more to actually follow through with exercise than if I had put on jeans that day. And so just that thought of putting on my leggings instead of my jeans is going to motivate me more to do the exercise instead of making the excuses as to why I don't need to work out. So she just shares a lot of things like that that I really find inspirational and motivating, especially on days when you're thinking, oh, geez, it's Monday. I don't want to. So I, I really recommend checking out Mel Robbins. Nice. Nice. Um, well, mine is a little bit different. I'm going to recommend HBO Max because I've just been enjoying it so much. Uh, there have been so many things that I've been coming across on there. Uh, and in fact, you know, just randomly looking at the films that they have, I went through the entire library just looking at all the movies that they've got on there. And there were a lot of movies just that I've just never come uh, had the opportunity to watch. And so, like, I just watched the other day Training Day with uh, Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke. Hmm. Such a good movie. So, like... There is so much good stuff on there that I've been enjoying. Um, in fact, you know, now they're going to be moving all the DC shows over there uh, that were on DC Universe. And so um, I really mm-hmm. think that it is exciting um, and it's a lot of fun. So, again, I've just been I, I, I honestly also just watched um, the Philadelphia story with Catherine Hepburn and 
Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. They've got that kind of stuff on there too. So it's totally worth it. I mean, if you haven't checked it out and you need some a new streaming service, HBO Max is definitely a good one. So I would encourage you um, if you're looking for some good stuff, there you go. So um, Christy, though, if anybody wants to catch up with you, see what you got going on uh, outside of what we're doing here on the 602 Club, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bespin Bell. And I wanted to add to, uh, of course, aside from the 602 Club, I do a couple of other shows. I do a show with my friend Teresa Delgado called Sabres and Spells, which is on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network Skynet. And we talk about lots of geeky stuff, too. So I hope you'll check us out. And I do a show called Planet Leia on the Fanthatrax Network. We've been on a bit of a hiatus, but hoping to get back to that soon so i hope that you'll check that out as well you can also find me on uh, twitter instagram letterbox vero under the name matt rushing zero two i'm here on the network doing literary treks as well as the orb with chris jones both shows uh one we're talking about the books and comics of star trek the other is star trek deep space nine you can find me over on the nerd party network doing two shows one is called owl post doing that with drea kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. And last but not least, doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills. Every week, it's just a brand new Star Wars topic as it's a Star Wars show. We love talking Star Wars. We're having so much fun right now going through the entire season of The Mandalorian before we get to season two with our commentary series. So check it out. But we want to say thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? here. 